Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. And Anthony, the Phillies won two out of three over the weekend against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, just as anybody who has been paying attention to this team all season long could have predicted, uh, things were bad. They were headed towards total dumpster fire mode uh, after Friday night. Awful, ugly, hideous baseball game. And then they rebound and stabilize and show their resilience. And I'm going to put resilience in air quotes uh, because it's time for the Phillies to be done with resilience and just break the cycle and be good and put together seven straight wins and then don't lose seven straight games after it. Uh, But nice weekend nonetheless. Bring you in here and let's get your thoughts. All's right with the world, Bob. That's it, right? I mean, we've done the show's over. All's right with the world. Phillies, Phillies are fine. Yeah, think, things look bad. They look bleak. They look good now. We'll see you Friday. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, look, they had to win two out of th- two out of three, right? They had to. And the Cubs are deceptively bad. I don't know what that if that's the way to deceptively bad. I thought you were going to well, say deceptively good. Well, deceptively no. So, like, I was trying to figure out why because it's hard to say deceptively good when they're twenty and twenty six, right? I mean, so they're not they're not good, but they're they're better than you know people think that they're better than they really are and then they're like eh, are they really that good i don't know they have some parts that are good i i just looked at it and said this ha- they have to win two out of three against this team yeah. Re- really they just i mean the, i'm not in love with the what, what, what the cubs do i don't like the way david ross manages a little bit dude is one of those platoon guys like you get and he will empty his bench in the fourth inning like he did Friday night. And look, it worked Friday night, right? But then Saturday and Sunday, it, whenever he did it, it didn't work. Um, where he just – he has no problem doing this left-right, right-left thing and, you know, burning through his bench and setting up your bullpen because if you do that – the earlier you do that, the better the better your bullpen matchups are later in the game. Um, so, like, there's a lot of things about the Cubs where I look at it and say – this is not a winning organization, even if they have some talent there. And so the Phillies had to win two out of three. And they did. And to their credit, they did. I was not enamored with Sunday's game, but <laughs> but hey, they found a way and it was what you can get right now. Yeah, you I mean, listen, when I look at the Cubs, I see a team that can swing it a little bit in, in certain parts of the lineup, and they have a couple decent starting pitchers. I don't – I'm not going to pretend I, I know the Cubs inside out. I was very unimpressed throughout the weekend with their defense. Uh, they they really struggled there. Some, mm-hmm. some okay baseball at times from them. And you're right. The Phillies did what they have to do or what they had to do. And that's sort of – I guess I just expected that. I, I said to you on Friday shows, like as ugly as this has been against the Giants – and they're kind of going through it here again. 
they're going to win two out of three because that's what they do. And they'll inch back towards 500. I would expect them to win the series against the Diamondbacks. Although we've talked about it a couple times on the show that Arizona's a quality baseball team. The Phillies are going to see a, a pretty good team here this week. Um, but, but what I look at with, with the Phillies right now is just sort of like a, a sense that they're just treading water. And it's, can you, can you kind of get over that hump and 46 games in, you know, the Phillies have only played 20 games against teams with winning records of the 46 games that they've played to this point. And only the Brewers and Mets have played fewer games against teams with winning records. When you look at strength of schedule, the Phillies are about middle of the pack. So it's not that they've had the easiest strength of schedule or the hardest, or they're right about league average. But the volume of games that they've played against teams below 500 currently, it's up there. And they haven't really been able to take advantage of that. And so I can sit here and applaud the Phillies' resilience, as I often have, for not letting this thing get out of control, not spiraling towards 21 and 29 through 50 games like they were last year. I, I trust this team to the degree that I don't think they'll let it get out of hand, but I don't know that I trust this team to the degree that, okay, now they're going to bear down, win another series this week, and then hit the road for 10 games, which I think in some ways is going to tell you a lot about where this team's really at in terms of, of its ability to compete, maybe make things interesting in the NL East, and, and certainly kind of let you know where how you really feel about them. When you talk about the Braves and, and the Mets, like it, it's time to see it now. And it, it, I feel like these first 46 games have sort of been a warm-up, but like now you get into this Arizona series against a quality opponent, and then you have these two big division series. The first time you'll see either of these teams this season, it's time now for, for them to show it. And and credit to them for not letting it get out of control, but they've got to elevate now. They do. And 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 the the thing you started with is is really the thing that I wanna kind of hit on is because they can't keep fluctuating with streakiness. With win, 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 lose, 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 win, 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 lose, lose, lose. I mean, I I went back and I said, when was the last time the Phillies went three games where there was a win, loss, win, or loss, win, loss? It's been a month. So in the past month, they haven't had a stretch of games, a stretch of three games where it alternated, which is not. I mean, that's that's not the you know the worst thing in the world, but at the same time, it just shows how they're they're very streaky, right? That for an entire month, they're either going great or not going at all. Um, and here we are again where the Phillies, you know, they, they, they snapped a losing streak and now they're starting a winning streak. And when you look ahead to this Diamondback series, you're right to point out that this is a pretty, uh, good team early on in the season, right? Got out to a very good start. They don't have great pitching. They, they do have a couple of really good pitchers, but they're only going to see one of them in this series. Um, and you look at these you look at the these matchups and you can find a way to say the Phillies can maybe keep this going right can they win they should win tonight i would think that they the pitching matchup favors them tonight yeah zach zach wheeler versus tommy henry yeah you know, but yeah left-handed pitcher and i wrote it in the story yeah, this morning i know the phillies have the lowest on base percentage against left-handed pitching in all of baseball right now i mean it's it's amazing how bad they've been against lefties and listen yesterday's game in isolation, Justin Steele's a nice pitcher. Yeah. He's had a really good season for Chicago. He's coming off a blow-up start against the Astros. But other than that, he's been unbelievably good. And he was very good yesterday. But, man, like the Phillies give me big-time pause because I totally agree with you, Anthony. This is a game they should win tonight. They have a clear pitching advantage. But, my God, they do not hit left-handed pitching. They don't. I'm going to be curious to see what 
Thompson does with the lineup tonight because are you keeping Bryson Stott out two games in a row? Oh, you better not. You, 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 you better That's not. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, Do you, you want to like, – can we, can we start – like I have my little checklist here of things I want to talk about on a show, and this is like a good segue. You're right. I don't know what he does with the lineup tonight. I'll, I'll let you make the point, and then, then let's talk about Bryson Stott specifically. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean so, so the thought process here is, is that, you know, they've been kind of platooning second base and center field um, against lefties. But do you really need to start Josh Harrison over Bryson Stott two days in a row? I don't see it. I, and even though Brandon Marsh has fallen completely off the table um, over the course of the past month after such an incredible start for him, I, I don't even see the Dalton Guthrie over Brandon Marsh notion. Like, I, you know, I'm fine with Marsh being at the bottom of the lineup because the, at least the one thing he has been doing well is he's been walking he's been drawing a lot of walks right uh yeah. which is which is good um but he needs to get back to hitting again but um I, yeah i don't i don't see the need to put those right-handed bats in this lineup against a guy who is a, really a nobody just a kind of a fill-in pitcher for the diamondbacks well let's start with the the top of the lineup and what they might do with bryson stott i agree with you there's no reason to play josh harris in two straight days in fact i mean I appreciate what he is in terms of a, a veteran leader and a clubhouse guy, and I understand the idea of Josh Harrison on this roster, but I do think that we're trending towards a, a resolution in which he may not be here yeah. come, I, let's say, July. Uh, he's been borderline unplayable offensively to this point. I know he's not getting consistent work and you know the irregularity in his appearances – I, I understand all that, but he was brought here to do a job. And to this point, he's he's been a non-factor. And, you know, you would have thought that there would have been maybe a door open to him playing a little bit more with the Reese Hoskins injury. You have Edmundo Sosa playing every day. You spot him at times. Maybe you don't want to overexpose Edmundo Sosa, which is something that we've talked about uh, at different points. And, and Josh Harrison has just not given them any reason to hand any of those at bats over on a, on a more consistent basis. So no, I, I think that Bryson Stott's in the lineup tonight. I mean, I would be stunned if they sat him back to back days and you look at what he's done against lefties this year. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, Bryson Stott's actually hitting 321 against left-handed pitching this season. And I don't want to say that that alone is a reason to play him against lefties. If you just don't like a certain matchup, you don't like the way that he profiles, you want to get him off his feet. I have no problem with Bryson Stott sitting out yesterday against a guy like Justin Steele. If you're looking to get him a day off, but I, I do have a problem if you're saying, well, like I don't want to play him because of a pure matchup situation against a lefty. Like I think the Bryson Stott's in a spot now where he's kind of earned the right to play against left-handed pitching. And the 321 comes in a small sample size. And if you keep letting him rip in, in spots like that, maybe that number comes down and all of a sudden you say, well, he can't hit lefties. Like I, I know you want to protect these guys to a degree, but in back-to-back -back games, I don't see it. And I would be stunned if he were out of the lineup tonight. Now, Brandon Marsh could be a little bit of a different story. Again, I, I would expect uh, – you would think he would play tonight, but the Phillies do kind of, I think, want to – match him up a little bit like he's going through it right now and you credited him with the walks I mean though on base percentage given how poorly he is in terms of batting average and 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 all that stuff in the month of May he's still getting on base which I think is a positive sign overall but it I, I can see to some degree wanting to protect and utilize matchups a little bit more with Brandon Marsh but Bryson Stott at this point you're like you gotta let this kid rip That's yeah, no, doubt. no doubt no doubt I mean Look, he's he's going to be one of your guys 
we've we've said this before. He's one of your guys, right? So why why overprotect him? Just let him go. Let put him out there and and let him be, and you know let him play. And and there's really no there's no the alternative is is a far drop off. That's the thing. Like if you're if at least if the bench guy coming in like oh he's got really good numbers against left handed pitching and you could sit there go okay all right fine at least I you could justify it for me. Right. But there is no justification right now. Bryson Stott needs to play and he needs to play almost every day. Um. As for as for Marsh, I, I I agree he's going through it, and you maybe want to protect him a little bit. But if you look, his no, he's a dead even guy all the way across yeah, the he's, board. He's, he's been okay against lefties. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying like his numbers this year are the same against righties as they are against lefties. I mean, right. I, almost identical. So so like to me, it doesn't like it doesn't matter who he's playing against. Just put him out there. And yeah, I, I, look, I was the one who wrote it the other day, right? Who said that, you know, his numbers are way down over the course of the last month. With the exception of drawing walks, he's he's way down from where he started the first two weeks of the season. But if you're going to – he's he's got 24 walks this year already. That's a lot through, through 45 games for a guy who traditionally didn't have, a you know, a ton of walks in his career, right? So, so why not – keep him in there at least for that look Thompson always talks about letting guys hit their way out of out of struggles why not let him hit his way out if he's getting on base still you know what I'm saying like if you still are finding a way to get on then then do it I mean I'm just looking at seriously since just since May 9th so since the Toronto series uh he has played in I'm going to give you the total walks here he has walked uh, 10 times in 11 games in 37 plate appearances. That's pretty darn good. You know what I'm saying? Like, he may not be hitting. He's 077 in those games, but he's walked 10 times in 11 games. So you're getting a base runner there. That's important. And it, it, when nobody else is getting on base, that's kind of a, a thing that's that, that you should really take advantage of. Well, I think there's two different ways to look at it. One is about how do you build a lineup to win tonight on May 21st against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then I think the other part of it is like, what do we have here moving forward? Like, let's say that let's just work under the premise that this is a team that is trying to win a championship this year. And I think that most people internally within that organization would say, yes, that is our goal. So if that is your goal, I think that the Phillies need to figure out what they have in Brandon Marsh. And so even if he is not the optimal piece to utilize in the game tonight, to me, it's like I need to go on a fact-finding mission as frequently as I possibly can to figure out how I'm going to treat my roster when we get to the trade deadline and beyond. Because look, you get into October and you get into these playoff matchups. Is is Brandon Marsh a guy that you're going to hide against left-handed pitching come October 10th in, in an NLDS matchup? Like what? If you're going to do that to him now, then is that how you view him as a player? And and what are you going to do when when things are really on the line here? Like to me, if you got to figure out, we've talked about the need to add a bat. I think it needs to be a starting lineup, middle of the order caliber bat from the right side. I don't know if they're going to be able to go get that guy. I don't know if that guy exists. Like I haven't circled the the prospective trade candidate here. But I think in a perfect world, that's what makes this team better. They need more pop from the right side. So you've got to figure out, okay, how are we going to address that need? Is it going to be a first baseman? 
or are we comfortable with this combination of players that we're currently utilizing and then getting the addition of Derek Hall or going to a Bryce Harper if that's the way they're going to go with it? Do we need to add a third baseman? Do we need to add a corner outfielder or a center fielder? Like, Where is that right-handed back coming from? And to me, you've got to make a determination on what you have about Brandon Marsh. You can't get into a situation where Dalton Guthrie starting playoff games for you in October. So if you don't think that Brandon Marsh can do it, and this is how you want to utilize him, that's all fine and well. But then like, you do your homework here, create the sample size, and, and be cool with it. I, I just think that there's no... No reason to sit him two straight days. I, I don't mind the occasional breather, especially as the guy's slumping or going through it. But I do not want to see this become a pattern that they start to employ on a more or a routine basis. Like we've got to find out what's what here. Yeah, and that's and that's another another reason why I, you know I'm advocating to to just stick with your group. Um, it's just. I don't I don't like the notion of tinkering around too much with players who are you're going to rely on to be the players for you when the time comes uh, to, you know, to shit or get off the pot, really. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And I think there's been too much of that with these two guys. I, I, again, I get it a little bit, you know, early in the season. You want to kind of get them in the right flow and doing things and look. Stott got off and Marsh both got off to great starts, right? So maybe what they had in plan uh, in place as a plan for those two guys was working early in the season. They fi- they had something there that they kind of figured would work, and it did. Um, of course, they couldn't maintain that superhuman level of play um, and and tailed off a little bit. Stott has since righted the ship some. Marsh is still kind of scuffling somewhat, but you can't. You can't go with what you were going with in the first two weeks of the season when they were red hot when they're not that anymore. So you now got to give them an opportunity to play because you have, again, you have to find out, are these those guys for you? Are these the guys you want to go to war with at the end of the season? I think they are. There's no question, especially Stott. I think he's he's in, in you know amongst their most important players now. Yeah, and can I say, though, I don't think that they're doing that with Bryson Stott. I, I think that Bryson Stott not playing yesterday, it was just an opportunity to to work in a guy on a, a day off. I do think they're doing it with Brandon Marsh. I, well, I, I, you see, you I see, don't view I, these guys the same way. I just don't. I, and that's and, and maybe not, but this isn't the first time that they've done it with Stott this year against the lefty. He has sat against lefties. I think he sat against Sale, right? I mean, Chris Sale, when he pitched in here a, a couple weeks ago, um and uh there was another game where he didn't play as well and i was just like well that's an odd one but was it was it the gomber game i might have been the mm, yeah maybe not that one colorado i don't know yeah i forget what anyway there was there was another lefty where and it's like okay so he maybe he's not sitting against every lefty but it's happened at least a handful of times this season already and if if it's happened five times in 45 games to me, that's a little bit too much. It just is. And now Marsh is, Marsh is certainly more, more frequent than that. And I was okay with it, I guess, when Pache was on the roster and was, and was hitting. And you sit there and go, oh, all right. I mean, if, if you're going to do it and the guy's going to hit, okay, fine. But look, you know, Dalton Guthrie, God love him, is not a guy I want playing with regularity in, in center field. A, he's not that great a center fielder. He's better on the corners. 
and and B, he's just not a not that great a hitter, right? So so why are you downgrading so much? That's that's the thing I think, Bob, that bothers me more than anything else. In both cases, is that if you sit either guy, the alternative is an immense downgrade. Like these guys against lefties, the lefty against Stott and Marsh against lefties are are just better than what the alternative is. So why sit them? In, why sit them unless you need to give them a day off, right? Unless unless they need a day, okay, fine, and that's what the sub is for. They play when they need a day. But why, I don't I don't see the I don't see the statistical measurement, the analytics, the nothing that says to me, oh, I should start Josh Harrison and Dalton Guthrie over Brandon Marsh and and Bryce right. and at all. I mean, I'm I'm with you, and I. I I, I don't I do not disagree with with that assessment. So uh, real quick on, on Bryson Stott specifically, we've talked a lot about the the way that the top of this lineup has been constructed. What do they do with the leadoff spot? And just a couple quick numbers entering play yesterday I included this in the story I wrote after yesterday's game. Uh, some some rankings here on base percentage from Philly's leadoff hitters 266 this season. And mind you, a lot of this is about Kyle Schwarber's little 0 for 19. You know, he, he that week that he was the leadoff hitter really hurt these overall numbers. But 266, that's 29th in Major League Baseball. Slugging percentage 330, that's 28th. Batting average 232, that's 25th. I. I we talk so much about Bryson Stott and the ability to work at bats and grind. And, and that's a big thing that we've said on this show. A lot of people that, that, you know, you watch the Phillies play, you notice this. You're like, man, this guy, he works. He sees a lot of pitches. And then you look at the stats, though, and you see that he's walked nine times this season. So one of the things I dug into a little bit about Bryson Stott specifically is like, well, okay, so he's hitting 288. He hits the big home run yesterday. He seems to have a flair for the dramatic. There's a lot to like about his game. But is he a leadoff hitter? Is he a guy that you can hit at the top of your lineup or even hit in a two-hole? And Or is he best utilized further down the lineup? And it's so weird. I'm like, okay, so he's seeing all of these pitches. But he's not walking. Like, how common is that? And like, is this a statistical anomaly or is there something more to it? And so I just wanted to see how he related to some other guys that, that are seeing a lot of pitches this season. So I started to dig into it a little bit. And he has seen the 11th most pitches per plate appearance of any National League hitter so far this season, meaning that there's 10 players in the National League that are ahead of him. He's walked nine times. The player with the second fewest amount of walks that's on that list ahead of him is Ryan McMahon from the Rockies. He's walked 16 times. And you go, okay, well, what's the difference between 9 and 16? Well, Bryson Stott's on-base percentage right now is 321. If Bryson Stott had walked 16 times this season instead of 9 times, he'd have a 357 on-base percentage, which all of a sudden, when you look at it in terms of a leadoff hitter, that plays. You mm -hmm. know, the disparity between 321 and 357 is significant. So you're talking about seven walks over 196 plate appearances, and all of a sudden Bryson Stott looks like a really palatable option at the top of your lineup. And you think to yourself, like, okay. And the reason why I use McMahon and the guy that's second closest to him is because Ryan McMahon's not a special hitter. There, there's nothing special about his game. Some of the guys on that lineup, they, they just profile differently. You're talking about the Olsons and the Muncies of the world, like guys that are, are legitimate power threats. Like, so they're going to be pitched to differently than a way that, that, that Bryson Stott's going to be pitched to. But I just look at it and say, like, his numbers are so far in terms of walk rate 
there's only been 12 players in baseball this season that have walked at a, a lesser rate than Bryson Stah has. But he's seeing all of these pitches. The gap here makes no sense. And if he can just tinker with this a little bit and get that walk rate up, he becomes like a legitimate threat at the top of a lineup. Yeah. And, and so I think his greatest um, strength at the plate is right now his – is also his biggest weakness, which doesn't mean it can't it's it, it it can't be massaged to just be the strength, right? They can't be morphed into one. It certainly can be, um, and you know ultimately he could well be a really really good leadoff hitter in Major League Baseball. But regardless, I think at the moment until Trey Turner gets his head out of his ass. Bryson Stott is your best option to lead off on this team. Assuming we can't move Bryce Harper out of the three hole, which is. And you can't. You can't, right? I mean, so, so I'm just saying, I mean, that's a so, thing. So what, is, what so, is the strength and weakness? Is the strength that he's seeing too many pitches? Or the, I'm sorry, is the weakness that he's seeing too many pitches? Like, well, how do so you view? His, his strength is that he is, he sees a lot of pitches. His strength is. He hits well when he's behind in the count, right? So he he has a he has really good batting averages when he's a. We talked about this on the on the phone briefly last night. When the when he when the pitcher is ahead in the count, Bryson Stott's three oh seven hits three oh seven. When he's down oh one, he hits two ninety. Okay, uh, even even two strikes, he hits two forty four, which. With two strikes, that's a pretty good batting average. With because right. most most guys are like in the two two ten two twenty range. Once it's once they're down two strikes, o two when it's o two he hits two fifty, so it's even better when he's at o two two fifty four at one two. Like he yeah, I don't have league average in front of me, but I assure you that, that is above league. Yes, average. Of, of course Probably it is. By a so so, mark. so these are all good things, right? These are all these are this is a great strength of his, but. Even with those things, even even when you sit there and say that you know, oh my God, you know his his batting average is is pretty good and it's above league average when he's behind in the count and all these spots, that's great. But even still, you're not getting on base enough in those spots. You see what I'm saying? Like if you look at that three oh seven, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but if you look at that three oh seven batting yeah. average, great. So now tell me the on base percentage. Three oh eight. Yeah, he's walked one time, you know, in addition to those hits. Right. I mean, that's part of the game. But but that's where I say, like, listen, you know, most of these guys that have seen, like, if you look at the list of players ahead of him that see more pitches per plate appearance, half of them at least are also in the top ten percent, the top ten in terms of walk rate. Yeah. Like, there's a correlation between I see a lot of pitches and I draw walks, but for Bryson Stott, it's not even that. I don't need him to be a top ten guy in terms of walk rate. I just don't need him to be a, a bottom 15 guy. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing. Like, that's where I'm saying, like, okay, like, I understand that he's a different type of hitter than some of these other guys. But, like, is just don't be a bottom 12 guy right. in terms of walk rate. Just be, like, a bottom 50 guy. And then all of a sudden, you got 25, 30 points added to your own base percentage. And you're like a borderline all-star hitter. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's the thing. The, the, the great argument is, well, why are you know walks versus hits? Why is walks so important? It's they're important because if you're not walking and you're not getting a hit, you're making it. You're making the out. 
right? So if you can if you can convert more uh, a few more appearances, plate appearances, even some that might include hits. So let's say you take a few hits away, but you add a, f- a few more walks beyond that. You're automatically putting yourself in a better position or putting your team in a better position. So walks do matter. They are important. Um, and even when he gets again, when he gets with two strikes, I mean, he's a pretty good hitter, pretty good batter with the, in those situations. But you'd almost rather he be a little bit more patient at the plate. Uh, you know, he's he's the other thing. Is, did you look at his like how far, often he's behind in the count versus how far he's ahead in the count? I haven't. No. No. Okay. So so he's been behind in the count seventy in seventy eight plate appearances. He's been ahead only fifty one. Right. I mean, you say, well, that's not that big of a difference. It's only 27 plate appearances. Right. Well, put that out, extrapolate that out like over the four, four times over the season, because we're just a little bit more than a quarter way through. Right. So put so extrapolate that out. Now you're talking about it being 100 some plate appearances where he's behind more than he's ahead. So it's 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 those kinds of things. And and you, you need you need to figure out ways to get. To get on base other than just you know, being a, a really good hitter uh, where you could foul off 37 pitches and then a bat and, you know, maybe you get a, maybe get a, a bloop single to left field um, because that's, that's what he does well. And, and I'm not saying to not do that. I mean, of course you want to get, you get a hit, you get a hit. That's great. Um, but I, I, I don't think that, I, I don't know. I just think that he gets behind, I, I just think he, gets behind to- he gets behind early and and fights back. It, it's kind of an an awkward thing to discuss, right? Because you, you you don't want to take away what he does well because because it's good. But at the same time, he's he can't he shouldn't get behind so much. Maybe if he gets a little bit more aggressive, and this is maybe this is the way to say it, Bob. Maybe if he gets a little bit more aggressive early in the count, he'll start getting pitchers to not throw him strikes right off the bat, and then he won't get behind as quickly. He's only Swung at the first pitch, and uh, well, I shouldn't say swung. Only swung at the first. He's only put the ball in play at the fir- on the first pitch that he's seen thirteen times. Yeah, as eight hits too. I mean, guy's hitting over six hundred on the first when he puts the ball in play on the first right. pitch. He's hitting six fifteen this year, which is probably in his mind going like, "Hey, I should offer it the first pitch." I guess my guess is he's fouling a lot of those first pitches off, and then instantly getting himself into a hole. Like that's that's I'm almost certain the how this is playing out. Right. So this is this is where you gotta. This is where, this is why baseball's crazy, right? I mean, and it can get into your head a little bit because you know you look at these things and you break them down. You say, "Wow, I'm really good when I make put the ball and play on the first pitch," and then you get behind. Well, I'm really good when I'm behind. Okay, great. And all those things are good, but then you're not getting on base enough, even though you're actually hitting well. Yeah. So it's it's kind of what drives you crazy as a as a as a batter. But if you can sit back and take a thousand foot view of it and kind of look at it from a distance and not look at it in the vacuum of the player, you maybe can see a way that where you can kind of have this all kind of blend together to be better and to make him that all-star caliber player. Yeah, I think what I see right now is uh, it's broken down into two parts. The Phillies don't have a better option, in my opinion, to right. get lead off. If you know Bryce Harper, you can make that argument, but for the sake of what the Phillies will do in reality. I don't think we need to go down that road. So if that's the case, then I think Bryson Stott remains your best option, even though his on-base percentage is uh, just a tad under three uh, 300 as a leadoff hitter this season, which isn't good enough. But I just look at this and I say, okay, I see the makeup. I, I see a progression with him as a hitter. I, I think he just checks a lot of different boxes and does a lot of really good things that, that ultimately – 
bleed into one another and make up the 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 proper makeup of a leadoff hitter. He just needs to unlock this last part of it. And then I think we can stop having this conversation about the Phillies and their inability to field a, a competent leadoff hitter, which then I think kind of is a perfect segue into what we saw from Trey Turner yesterday. And, you know, you covered the first two games of the series, and I was down there yesterday. And I don't know if there was any sense after the game Friday, uh, frustrations mounting, kind of just finally hitting a head where they said, you know what, we got to give Trey Turner a breather on Saturday, and I'll let you speak to that. But what we saw yesterday in his return after that one-game absence was – I thought in a way, like, I don't want to sit here and tell fans that they should applaud a strikeout. I don't want to sit here and say you should get excited over a strikeout. But we did see some fight from him in that first at bat. Mm -hmm. He sees 10 pitches, something that he has not done very often. I mean, you look at terms of pitches per plate appearances, it's like 375 coming into yesterday's game. He's been an easy out. He's been a quick out. There hasn't been a lot of resistance from Trey Turner. Um and I would actually argue that part of the reason that he's even seen that many pitches is because he swings through so many of them, thus extending the account. The account. Uh, so you look at him, though, and he, he kind of puts up a pretty good fight. And I look at that and I say, OK, that's encouraging. Like, I know it's not the result, but it's a step in the right direction. Comes back, second plate appearance, though, strikes out again, only sees four pitches. Third plate appearance, has a runner in scoring position. Phillies are really struggling. They need a key hit. He grounds out the third base on the first pitch. He gets booed. Like, he gets booed pretty aggressively, too, by a sellout crowd at that point. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my God. Now, again, this all comes against Steele, a lefty. So he's 0 for 3 against the lefty yesterday. Let's throw this out at you. And I know we talked a little bit about this on Friday, and Trey Turner struggles against left-handed pitching. But after going 0 for 3 yesterday against Steele, he's hitting 207 right now against lefties. In 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, a four-year sample size, all meshed together, he hit 340 against left-handed pitching. Late in the game, final at bat, he doubles into the right center gap. Maybe that's the one that gets him going. Maybe that's the swing that unlocks this for Trey Turner. I don't know if there's any new development from what you saw over the weekend. To me, it's sort of like right where I was at and have been for the last month. I guess we'll see. I, I just... I cannot figure out what we're seeing from this guy right now. I just really can't. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's. I don't think it's one of those things, Bob, where it's just it's going to come overnight, right? I don't think it's one of those things where you just you know it's you snap your fingers and oh, okay, he's great again. I, I think you have to look at it when the struggle has been this long, and it's the longest maybe of his career, but at least going back to. 2017 i think if i think it was uh if you go back we were looking at this over at the ballpark um on saturday and i think you know going back to 2017 was the the, the closest that that it was to have him having a stretch like this it's going to probably have to come a little bit more and i apologize if you guys hear that noise in the background yeah, I was just saying we're getting some landscaping done yeah well, so where i'm where my where my office is it's literally right out the the yard is I mean, I can knock on the wall, and there's the there's my backyard, and I, they they're scheduled to come around. I don't even know when they show up, and but I apparently they showed up today, and so there they are. They're doing the work, so I apologize. You should go out there and see if they want to advertise. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, but uh, but the point is, is like in times like this, I think it's it's a it's a slow progression out of it, right? So maybe something like those like yesterday, while not all that ex exciting, having a ten pitch at bat getting a double late in the game right i mean those things those things were kind of helpful you know and yeah, there's and something important. to build on there right? at the there's end of the day you go stuff. home 
you go home and say, hey, I had a pretty good grind in that first at bat. I had a double. You know, I, like, yeah. I, I think it's amazing that this is the conversation that we're having. It's it's fairly, frankly, it's 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 disheartening that that it's like you know we're talking about incremental progress, grasping at, at, for positives when you're talking about strikeouts. But this is what you have to do when you have a hitter that's going through it to the extent that he is. You have to really look a little bit closer. You have to look deeper and say, are there positive signs here that ultimately are going to render the results that you want? I will just tell you this, and we're going to have the same conversation about Taiwan Walker in a moment. It's been it's been bad. It's been a struggle. But you start to look at that schedule, and you see what's coming, and you're like, if he can just figure it out in time for New York, Atlanta, people will quickly forget about the first seven weeks. Well, yeah. I mean, I it, it's. I'll tell you this regardless if he figures it out over the next three days or not, the the Trey Turner's first taste of Philadelphia fans will come after the next seven games that follow that with Atlanta and New York. If he's good, they'll love him. They'll appreciate him. They'll give him the Alec Bohm treatment after he said he wants, he hates this fucking place. Right. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll give him that kind of treatment. on the swear jar counter, you're up 2-0 right now, by I'm the way. I'm up 2-0. That, That's all right. It's yeah. good. It's, it's, I'm ahead of you. But yeah, yeah. I, only awesome. one only one was mine. I was quoting somebody else with the other one. Uh, but but if he continues to struggle through those 10 games, regardless if the Phillies are playing better or not, he's going to start to hear it even more. And he got a, he got some boos over the weekend. Um, I thought the, the, the latter boo was for the strikeout um, on fr- Friday night. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the crowd on Friday night yeah. because on TV, I I felt like for the first time this season, from what I saw, I, I was like, man, this crowd is starting to get a little upset here. You know, like they've been really good. They've they've been a good crowd. They've, the numbers have been fantastic. Um, generally, I think they've been pretty patient. The crowd this season, mm-hmm. I thought Friday night they were a little on edge. Yeah, well, they were. I mean, you came you came in off of a losing streak, and you're like, okay, well, we're back home, and we're playing a team that we should beat, and they just got annihilated, right? I mean, they just got blown their, their doors blown off, and so the fans are 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 frustrated with the team in general. But then you got Trey Turner just looking looking like. T- Looking like ass out there. Does that count as three? <laughs> I mean, a real wordsmith, right. professional writer, right. Right. assessing Trey Turner's appearance, saying he looked he looked like ass. Well, I, I mean, it was because it was he made an error too in the field. It wasn't just the the bats. He was he made an error that kind of cost them in the field. So I mean, I, I look. So I think that the fans start to get annoyed. They get start to get frustrated. And so he comes up after the error. His first at bat after the error. And they, you know, Dan Baker does Trey Turner. And the, you hear that it, there was a there was a noticeable boo. It wasn't it wasn't a Philadelphia boo, it wasn't a big loud one, but it was noticeable through the ballpark. Then he strikes out. And then the boo birds really came at that point. That was a much more recognizable one. So I think that one that was like the first taste of it. Okay. I don't know if you heard it yesterday at all. Obviously, he didn't play on Saturday. Um, I, I don't know if you heard booze yesterday or uh, at all when he came up. Um, 
but I, I not I, at the start of the game. Yeah. I mean, not early, but that third at bat. I don't know if that was the fifth inning. I'd have to go and look at the game log, but he gets an opportunity. There's a runner on second base, two outs. Here we go. And yeah. first pitch rolls it over to third base. And he, he was booed at that point. And yeah. it was, I don't want to say it was like over the top or crazy right. or anything, but it, people were upset. You yeah. know, it's just like, how many times can you give a guy an opportunity in a big spot and he just comes doesn't come through he just fails to give you anything right I mean, so, so i think i think what i'm what i'm getting to is we're starting to hear it it's not it's not a cacophonous there you go professional writer word it's it was, back. i'm back it's not it's not a it won't be a cacophonous sound to this point um but if they if he continues to struggle through atlanta and new york man when they get home after that trip holy hell that could be that could be bad for for trey turner yeah. Yeah. It was the fifth inning. It was uh, the Dalton Guthrie double. And, you know, with two outs, little rally, Dalton Guthrie's doing it. And then Trey Turner, one pitch, and see you later. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think that's something to definitely keep an eye uh, on. The, the only thing I want to touch on here, I, I feel like we can be a little bit shorter with this show today because I don't, in essence, I don't think much has changed for this team. Not since uh, Friday. Although, no. although, aren't, are we going to do the Dylan Covey breakdown? We got to talk about that, right? <laughs> well, I guess we can actually introduce that on a peripheral here because I do want to talk just a little bit about what we saw from Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker, and and I I think it would be remiss to to not mention Aaron Nola's performance on Saturday, which you know for as, as much I feel like we always talk about Aaron Nola for fifteen minutes on this show, and this is me. I'll I'll, I'll put my hand up on this. We talk about Aaron Nola when things don't go well. Uh, when things do go well, you kind of go, all right, well, that's what he's supposed to do. Great job. But I thought in, in Saturday's game, they needed the length. They needed a quality start desperately out of this rotation, and he delivered it. And, you know, you start to talk about positives that you can take from the weekend. Again, you look at what Aaron Nola has done now for about the last five, six starts, and I think you start to feel pretty good about his trajectory and where he's heading. Like, I don't look at an Aaron Nola start right now, and he'll have a blow up here and there. Like, it's going to happen. But I'm not looking at Aaron Nola right now going like, well, what the hell are we going to get out of this guy tonight? Like, I'm reasonably confident that we're going to get something that resembles a top-of-the-rotation performance from him. Um, and, and that's a huge positive. But on the, on the flip side, Ranger Suarez – so I think that there's two ways that I look at what we saw from Ranger Suarez on Friday night. One, you go, it's his second, it's his second start back. He was behind. You know what he is. You know that he can be a productive pitcher. You know, probably a, a, a number three guy that you feel pretty good about. The only thing I'll say is this. Isn't it amazing that every single starting pitcher and, and I'm going to use starting pitcher loosely here because Matt Strom can be included in, in this. He'll be the exception. But every starting pitcher in this staff got out of the gates with just a brutal start. Aaron Nola was terrible. Zach Wheeler really struggled. Uh, Andrew Painter, like, he, he wasn't, wasn't even there. Bailey Falter. You know, I guess his first couple times through the rotation, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't good. Tywon Walker really struggled early. All of these guys have gotten off to slow starts. And so I just maybe I'm thinking, well, do we just lump in Taiwan? Or I'm sorry, uh, Ranger Suarez with that and just assume that by start number four, he'll be ready to go. Like, is he just another example of this whole staff and this this problematic trend that, that they've gotten out of the gate slowly? Is he just part of that? Or is he unique in that there's something specifically troubling to what we've seen from him so far? 
I don't know how to answer that, Bob, because the one thing I'm willing to to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on is the fact that he had zero spring training, right? And so in essence, he's had five starts, three of them that were rehab assignments in the minor leagues. So even that first one, you really can't, I mean, yes, he pitched, it was great. Okay, fine. But it was really, I don't know, he threw 30 some pitches or whatever it was. Right. And then I think he finished the rest in the bullpen or if he even, that might've been the second one. Uh, if I'm forgetting, I'm mixing the two up. So really with just five starts, three as a rehab and then two at the major league level with no spring, I don't know if we can expect him to be sharp yet, right? So therefore, I'm like, okay, this isn't ideal and it's probably going to take another handful of starts before he really starts to look right. But at the same time, I, I, I don't want it to get away from him either. I don't want it to be bad start after bad start after bad start. You want to see little progressions, okay? So he his first start was not great, but it was like, okay, well, that's his first start. But then it went backwards in his second start, right? Although he had a weird, really weird inning, um, which I, I, I talked to Jason Stark about and couldn't, couldn't find an answer because he had the first six base runners of an inning reached base against him, four hits, two walks. And then he struck out the next three batters. Like, I'm not certain how many pitchers have had that succession of nine batters and in one inning uh, in the history of the game. But it, it's not many. Um, but the point is, is that he, he took a step back. Now, his next start, I need to see it get a little bit better. That's not to say he's got to come out there, throw seven innings, two runs, you know, and be, you know, playoff Ranger Suarez. I just need I need to see it improve a little bit and sit there and go, okay, he got through five, right? And he, you know, maybe you've only got one run, you know, a few hits, whatever. Okay, fine. And then the next start, okay, can he get into the sixth inning? Okay, great. So you need to start to see those progressions. It just can't be repeatedly bad and then say, oh, well, he's still working his way back. It, it, there needs to be little steps on the way because we're in the regular season now. So you don't have the luxury of – building it up while you're playing at the major league level, even though in essence that's what you're doing, right? But it, there needs to be small improvements. If there are, then I'm okay with it. I think he'll eventually get there. I, I'm like, I think you, the question comes out, like, what's the alternative? Well, like, there there is none. Goes, let's say he goes, how many starts do you give him where you, you allow for this to happen? Is it five? Is it six? Because there, if not him, then who? And I think that that is the other part of the equation here. Well, yeah. Um, well, the, 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 I guess the, the longer it goes, the closer you get to the point where you can add somebody, right? Or add two somebodies, if need be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're at the end of May. If you give him three more starts, we're in the middle of June, right? And then now you're sitting there saying, okay, let's say after those three starts, it's still this. It's still bad. Then you're like, okay, now we have to go get somebody. At least at that point, you're pushing closer to the time of year where trades happen. And it maybe doesn't cost as much to replace a player in your rotation as it would if you do it now. I'm of the thought they're going to have to add, I, I think, a, a middle of the rotation, a true middle of the rotation starter, mm -hmm. not Cindergard. You know, a guy that you're like, hey, he's a three. I would love to see a two, but like if we're going to do like number uh, assignments, a three would be fine with me. 
for both, for both fans of Lucas Giolito, who's a free yeah, agent. Yeah, I know. I'm like, man, I would like to see him not make another start with the White Sox. Just go get him right now. <laughs> that's I, I, that's something you and I have talked about privately. Yeah. We haven't started bringing trade candidates onto the show yet, but he's, he's on my list. Um, I, I don't know how this team competes if Ranger Suarez isn't Ranger Suarez. Like, I just don't know that you can go out and get two starting pitchers to to really fortify this thing. Like, if he's not that guy and they have to bump him out, I, I don't know what you do. I mean, and, like, we can talk about Taiwan Walker because, I mean, all these puzzle pieces fit together. Yesterday on three days rest, you know, he throws 40 pitches against the Giants and can't get out of the first inning last week in San Francisco. And he comes back and he's really good yesterday against the Cubs. You know, five and a third inning, scoreless, uh, only gives up two hits, three walks. You'd like to see the walks down a little bit, but for the most part, he was in the zone. He got ahead of hitters. He was doing all the things that he hasn't done when he has struggled this season. For me, like I walk away from that yesterday and go like, okay, good. We know that he can get guys out at the major league level. We know that he has this in him. We've seen it enough. Like We've seen it in a few starts from him where you feel pretty good about what he gives you. He looked good against the Red Sox two weekends ago. But there hasn't been any consistency. You're still not in a place where you feel comfortable on a start-to-start basis with what he's about to give you. And he has yet to, in three straight games, give you a quality start or anything even remotely resembling it. So my takeaway is great. There's not an injury concern. There's something that you can work with here, but I need to see him do it with some consistency before I feel truly good about it. But for the Phillies right now, there's no other option. So this is what you're getting. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and that's all there is to it, Bob. I mean, I, I do think that they're, they're kind of believing that their prospect pitchers will eventually get to the point where they can use them this year. Um, and maybe they sit there and say, that's why they, they would only need one guy potentially, even if, Suarez doesn't work out, you know, or he struggles or Walker struggles enough that you need to replace either one of them. Obviously, they need a fifth starter, right? We know that. So if Suarez and and and, and Walker don't come around and they need to have a second person, they may not have to trade for it. They may bring it up from in, internally, and that's fine. But there's also no guarantee that whenever Andrew Painter's ready or if Griff McGarry builds up or if Mick Abel shows that he can, you know, get ready to take the jump to the major league level, there's no guarantee that once they get here that they're going to be successful either, right? So so because prospects are prospects, you know, they're always going to be that way. So, yeah, it's a it's a precarious situation w- with the team right now. They're, they're, like you said, treading earlier in the show, treading water and, and, and finding a way to stay – relevant and in this conversation but it could it could easily blow up on them quickly and and look bob the next time we're gonna we're gonna be talking on this program will be after the first game of the braves series Mm -hmm. so it's probably worth kind of just really fast looking at it you're gonna have nola pitch in that series you're gonna have walker pitch the second game of that series you're gonna have wheeler pitch the third game of that series and then who knows what in the finale of that series like that's it's it's a it's a thing where you sit there and go that's such an important benchmark series at this point in the year memorial day is always the day we talk about like looking at the standings for the first time and starting to figure out playoff possibilities 
and you're coming off of a four-game series with the first-place team in your division, and you don't know who's pitching the last game of that series on the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. That's a con- that's a concern, right? I mean, so that's a thing that man, this this team needs to needs to figure out quick, and that's why these starters need to deliver. Yeah, I mean, it forces you into a situation where you go, okay, we don't know what we're going out there with on Sunday. And the Braves, by the way, have their own starting pitching problems. I mean, the Braves have had some injury issues. Yeah. But you go into this series and you called it a benchmark series. You you look at this and you go, okay, well, we don't know what we're coming with in, on, in the finale. So we are almost forced to win two out of the first three if we want to make sure that we ensure a split here. Uh, it, it does. It, it just puts a little bit more pressure on everybody. There's a trickle-down effect to it. And the, the Phillies will have some options, like whether it's Dylan Covey or if it's Connor Brogdon for an inning and Matt Strom for three, and then you assess, like, is this game winnable? Like, how much do we want to leverage our better relievers? It, it, it's not to say that they can't win that game, but you're it, it is very tough. When you consider that you don't know what you're getting from a Ranger Suarez, from a Taiwan Walker, and then you have an open spot in the back end of it, like – we can sit here and talk about 24 and 26 or, you know, 22 and 24, 46 games. They're a game out of the wild card. Like, I get all that. Like, there's so much to be determined here. But you're, you're essentially going in to your – I made this point late last week. You're going into three out of every five starts truly not knowing what you're going to get. You're reasonably hopeful that guys like Walker and Suarez are, are going to give you something – but in that fifth spot, you have no clue. You don't even know who's going to be the guy to throw the ball. So uh, that that uncertainty, uh, it has to it has to get cleaned up sooner rather than later. Like I, I just don't know how many times you can go through a rotation where you, you have two to three at best one total uncertainty. Like I just don't know how long you can do that. And so for the Phillies, we talk about the trade market. No, I don't expect them to execute a meaningful trade in the month of May. But yeah, like I don't know that you can wait until till July thirty first to to start entertaining these meaningful trades. Like I think maybe there has to be a little bit more urgency, and I guess we'll see what happens here this week. It'll be telling, I think, in a lot of ways. Like what does Ranger Suarez do in this third start? Because I think that this is the this is the one where you start to put your hand over the panic button if it doesn't go well, and it might. Like there's there's a world where Ranger Suarez just comes out and looks like Ranger Suarez on Wednesday, mm-hmm. but if he doesn't then I think you start to hover over the panic button. I'm not hitting it yet, but I'm getting it ready. And then, you know, Tywin Walker, can you give me another good start? Because if he does, like, I'll, I'll allow for the, the San Francisco start because I'll have had two good starts prior to it and then two good starts after it. Like, and if you give me four out of five good ones, then okay. So then I start to feel better about where he's at. But, like, it's a huge one. The game matters. The opponent's better. It's 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 so meaningful. Like it, to me, that's a that's a big time start, and it'll be indicative of where Taiwan Walker's truly at. Yeah. Um. So th- there's a lot to get sorted out this week. Like I know we've kind of been feeling our way through this thing for for seven plus weeks here, and we're like, what are they? Like they win some, they lose some. Like it, we're gonna find out where they're at in the next ten days here. Yeah. There's no question. There's no question. Even this time, even this Diamondbacks team. You know, you don't get great pitchers the first two games. Obviously, you're going to get Zach Gallon on Wednesday, and he's a he's a really good pitcher, um, and he loves pitching here because he's from the area, right? And just like gets a lot of family here. I think the last two years, the games that he's pitched here, he's pitched really well. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to get a tough one on Wednesday. 
but you got to take it. You got to really kind of take advantage of these first two against the Diamondbacks who can hit. This is a team that's that's winning on offense right now. They got they got a lot of good that outfield that they that young outfield that they have is really impressive. Um, and and it's going to be it's not going to be easy. So you're going to you're going to have to take advantage of these first two games of their pitchers and and hope that your starters give you keep you in games against them. Then it's Atlanta yeah, it, and then it's the, the Mets. Yeah, third most runs in the National League coming into this series, Arizona, behind only the uh, Braves and Dodgers. I mean, you're talking about 5.15 runs per game. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's formidable. So we'll we'll see what happens here. Uh, Do you have one last thing before we bounce out of here? Yeah, I do. Um, And and this is is probably going to fall under the old man category again, but I'm going to make a comparison. (laughs) I'm going to make a comparison to to other sports leagues and, and, and show why I think that the baseball is getting this wrong. Um, the, the, the Orioles today released their, uh, city connect uniforms and, and they're fine. I mean, they're whatever they're black and white. And, um, but they also like, they, they're like, we're the first team to ever design the inside of the Jersey and the inside of the jerseys got all kinds of designs on them and stuff. And it's connect why it's, this is done because of, of this neighborhood and this, whatever. And they got this little label on the bottom left. That's going to be tucked into the baseball, the player's Jersey. So you're never going to see it. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, all these things that Nike is forcing, every team to do and then they're like well you know you got to limit the number of uniforms you have available and and one of them has to be the city connects and you know i know the phillies and the yankees have been really resistant up to this point about having a city connect but they're by contract with nike but and major league baseball they're going to have to have one i think by this time next year um so we have all these city connect jerseys some of them are okay some of them are freaking god awful and I think this is something that baseball is trying to be like the NBA because the NBA is the one that really kind of started this, right, with all of their multiple looks and colors. And they have a City Connect jersey as well that kind of started a few years back. Um, hockey does like, you know, they do special jerseys for the outdoor games. And then they have like a third alternate. And this, so they, they have had a lot of jerseys. The one sport that hasn't is the NFL. And the NFL, for as many times as I've criticized them for being the no fun league because they restrict things like, well, you know, you can't have a a third jersey. You can't have the Kelly Green Eagles until five years, six years after you ask for it, et cetera, et cetera. There's a reason that they are the number one marketed sport in America. And we may criticize them sometimes for, for stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that they get it right for some reason by sticking to their hard and fast rules. I'm not saying that this has anything to do with the game of baseball or the sport of baseball or people's appreciation for it. I just, I just like that certain sports have certain traditions and completely blowing it out of the water with absurd uniforms that most people don't like. If you, if you look at the conversation online, most people don't even like these that everybody hates them for the most part. Why are they following up with this initiative? What the hell are we doing? Because I know the Phillies one is going to be a disaster. It's kind of been leaked out already that it's going to look like the colors of the city flag, which is that ugly blue and yellow UCLA look that the Eagles trotted out that one time in honor yeah, the of the Kevin Kurz game. Jacks, the Kevin Kurz game. Yes. That's so it's, lines, yeah. it's, yes. So I'm like, why are, why are we doing this? What the hell are we doing? 
These teams have traditional looks and colors. Stick with it. That's what works. That's why the NFL works with their marketing. So well, I was actually just going to bring that up. I was like, well, you know, the, the Eagles at that one time and what was that? Oh, seven. Yeah, I think but that was a one off. Like if you want to do it as a one off. I'm, I'm fine. Fine. OK, do it as a one off. But- so you're you're thesis here is that the city connect jersey sucks and that baseball sucks because they do it well it's it's gotten to the point where it's not that they all i don't say they all suck there's a few of them that are okay which one do you like what's your favorite one did you like that rockies one the green yeah i do although even even though they look like like even though they look like slow pitch softball uniforms like i mean at least there's there's a thing to it. I, I wish it wasn't. I like the Mariners one, the, the blue and yep. gold. Yeah. Uh, even the Washington one with the cherry blossom. Yes, I like, like the cherry blossom right, one. It's all right. Man. It's got a little bit of pink, which is a different color, right? I mean, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I wanted to, I just like the, the notion of a, tr- like, I don't see the need to change the colors. Like, I would be, I would like the Colorado one better if it was purple with the mountain range. Right? That's their team color. I don't think it's about growing the game. I think it's about, shit to sell of like course. that's all it really of is, it is right of course it's, um, like, like if, but if, if people don't like them and the reaction seems pretty visceral across like look what the freaking texas rangers are doing look what the padres absurd city connect jersey looks like i mean do- you know what's funny though like i'm actually okay with so is it relates to the phillies I and mean, i know everyone has their own opinions about the phillies uniform sets like some people really like the cream some people like the red pinstripe I've always kind of I, I've grown to appreciate the road gray, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of find it to be boring. Like I always thought, if there was a jersey that the Phillies could change out, it would be that one. Right. I've always just kind of been like right. underwhelmed by it, uh, even though there's something just kind of comfort. It's a fine jersey. I always thought, like, why don't they wear a base red jersey? And then they introduced that, and now I hate it. It's like, terrible. Yeah. I, I hate the red jersey. It screams like March 11th, split squad, into yep. meeting. Like, it just, <laughs> it's such a horrible, it does not look like a major league jersey. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm fine doing away with that. It would be like, I'm cool with, you want to call it City Connect or market it however the hell you want to. That's cool. Like, I would love to see like a third alternate uniform that I feel really good about. And I know you say, well, that's like, that's the, the cream color, you know, home day game. And then they have the powder blue. Like, I get it. But the powder blue to me is like enough. Like, yeah. I don't need another jersey. The powder bl- uh, the powder blue can be that jersey. And I actually think that the Phillies utilize the powder blues correctly. Correct. Like, I, I don't need to see it 30 times a year. It, it comes out just often enough where I'm like, okay, it's in the mix and it's a cool jersey. Throw, like throwback it. Thursday home games. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And, and, and it's good. You're right. And as much as I like it, it's, it is my personal favorite Phillies jersey yeah. because it was the one that I loved as a kid. Um, I agree with you that that's that it should be it should be limited and and I, and I but I'll say this Bob and this is the last thing I want to say on the on the City Connect stuff. Do you remember when they did those special jerseys for a couple of years where they had like the goofy nicknames on the back? Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the Players Weekend, the Players uh, Weekend, the, thing. like big fella, big fella. You know? Yes, yeah. all right. So so obviously that was done for a marketing thing too, right? How many yeah. how many of those do you see people wearing around the ballpark? Yeah, they're they are absolutely they were atrocious, atrocious uniforms and a stupid idea. Like at least the city connecting, like if you get it right, m- maybe fans will gravitate towards it. But if you're telling me that I didn't know there was any like leaked uh, information, if it's going to be that that baby blue 
uh, yellow combination on the city flag, like I'm out. I don't think people are going to wear that. No, it's- I don't either. I don't think people are going to buy it. I don't, just like they didn't buy that thing. The, the players thing and uh, I think they should really dig in and go like full cliche and get the cheesesteak <laughs> and the Liberty Bell on it and like every other every other cliche Philadelphia thing like a soft pretzel and, and, and here's, here's my one other here's my one other and this is really going far on on, a, on the bitch scale but <laughs> as le- at least you're self-aware yeah oh well, I I know I am but this is I look I'll let my personal biases out on this one this whole city connecting and I, and I love it. It's great. You know, tie into the city where you play and everything else. And there's all kinds of connections with, with these cities. Think about how many people who are fans of this team who go down, they'll go down to the game, go into the city to go to the game. But other than that, never go into the city, have no connection to the city, have no connection to the neighborhoods in those city in the cities. And then think about how many people who actually live in the city who maybe don't go to games. Like, so what are we who are we trying to appeal to with all these like little neighborhoody things that 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 these that these teams are doing? Like I don't I don't know. I think it's kind of just a it's like this general notion of 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 marketing and I think it's a bad marketing platform, a bad ploy by the sport. I don't think that they really get their fans. And really understand. I don't see these jerseys in the crowd. I just don't. So I watch can we games. get like an ode to Delco and then South Jersey, like <laughs> both like integrated? Yeah, we should get the, the we should get the Delco Connect jerseys and the yeah, South Jersey the Connect. Regional connect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so put something from the beach, something from the shore, right? People, people sitting on the shore with a little transistor radio on the jersey or something along yeah. those lines. Uh, and that will do it for our latest segment of Old Man Yells at Cloud. Uh, <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, listen, this is a, a big week ahead here. Uh, Phillies three at home with Arizona before they get into the NL East, play the Mets, play the Braves. It's uh, going to be interesting. We will be back Friday uh, after that first game down in Atlanta to break everything down. And Anthony will come up with something else to get angry about between now and then. Uh, and we will uh, talk to you then. And if you have not yet followed us on YouTube, make sure that you do that. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else you get your shows. And make sure that you read along at Crossing Broad. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will talk to you soon.